Welcome to the Lend Academy podcast, episode number 92. This is your host, Peter Renton, founder of Lend Academy. Today on the show, we are talking digital identity and fraud prevention. I'm delighted to welcome Frank Terrell. He is the CFO of Threat Metrics. Now, Threat Metrics have been around for a while, and they are one of the leaders in this online fraud prevention space. And I had really didn't have much idea how this all worked, but after this interview, I now know a lot more. It really, really is fascinating the work they're doing and how they can take data points from different places and be able to really understand who is that person that is typing in a loan application in front of their computer or on their mobile phone or what have you. They have such sophisticated systems. And uh, we go into that in some depth. We talk about the professional criminals, what they're doing. We go into the mechanics behind how they are able to detect fraud. Uh, We talk about different countries they're in and uh, what they have for the future. It was a fascinating interview. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Frank. Thank you, Peter. Pleasure to be here. So let's get started. I want to give the listeners a little bit of background about yourself and particularly about your career before you joined Threat Metrics. So thanks for that, Peter. I've been a tech guy here in the Valley since the uh, early 90s, and most of that time focused on software, or much of that time, and uh, certainly much of that time focused on you know, security, authentication, access control, those kinds of things. So I've had the opportunity to be privileged to work with some great management teams. This is one of them. Second time the CEO and I have done a gig together, and uh, really excited to be part of this team. Okay, so then tell me about how you tend to work for Threat Metrics. So it's interesting. Threat Metrics. I'll give you a little bit of the history of the company, and then kind of rope in, uh, you know, my uh, arrival here. So Threat okay. Metrics started off as a a company focused on really understanding how people interacted with websites, and by that I mean to really get a deep analysis and understanding of the device. You know, when, when someone comes to a website on the other end of a transaction, it's important to know, you know, is that interaction compromised because they're accessing that website through some device that's inherently compromisable. So the company's early days were focused on, you know, understanding things like if someone was behind a proxy, what the true IP was, if in fact the machine was compromised, was there malware on the machine, was there something wrong with it, you know, was the machine acting in some anomalous fashion, or was, or was, there, was there something about the machine that was you know, counterintuitive. So, for example, uh, am I interacting with the U.S. website, but I've got no English fonts on the machine, those kinds of things. And uh, what intrigued me was that, you know, the amount of interaction that ThreatMetrics was having, you know, with its install base, its customers, and the growth of that customer base really lent itself to the reality that ThreatMetrics was going to develop, in short order, one of the largest private networks holding information on consumers globally that could be used to prevent fraud and to reduce friction on good customers. So that intrigued me. As I said, Reed Talsic, our CEO, and I had done another deal together a few years back. And so Reed and I connected, and I joined the company a little over five years ago. Okay. And so what, so what do you do there exactly? So I'm the chief financial officer, so I have the privilege of uh, you know running, obviously, the, uh, the financial side of the shop, but also uh, interacting with many of our customers, You know, uh, really understanding their needs, working with them as we negotiate our deals. And so it's really a, a broad and, and a really good role, a chance to really get deep, you know, in the weeds, a little, if you will, on the types of customers we have, you know, the challenges they face and how we help mitigate and solve those challenges. 
Okay, so let's just talk about that a little bit then. Who are the, the, the typical customers that you have and how are they using your products and services? So, you know, threat metrics in a nutshell, Peter, really helps customers authenticate, you know, who's on the other end of a transaction. And we do that by focusing on identifying people's online personas. If you think of the world we live in today, and the best way to get a picture of this is open up your iPhone or your Android device, you know, your smartphone, and look at the number of email addresses that you actively track, you know, on that device. Each of those email addresses has a different purpose, a different reason you're tracking them, and really functions as a separate online persona. In, in the physical world, in the real world, you and I have just met over the phone, and I'm Frank, you're Peter, and what we know about each other is what we exchange with each other. But in the online world, you know, I can have multiple personas. I can have, you know, an email address associated with, you know, spam protection, so whenever I'm, you know, surfing the Internet and signing up for stuff and I don't want my inbox buried at work, I have a spam account. I've got an account with my alma mater. My kids are all grown and through college, and so I've got, you know, email accounts associated with their schools. You know, I've got my Threat Metrics account. Uh, I'm with Santa Clara here in the MBA program, so I've got a Santa Clara account. Every one of those accounts operates and functions on the Internet as an individual persona. And what Threat Metrics does is it takes those individuals' personas and stitches them together into one digital identity. And the premise being that it's impossible to authenticate Frank unless I can look at all of his disparate personas online and make sure that none of them has been compromised. So we take, you know, think of it this way. We take how you interact with the website, that's the device piece, and we do deep device analytics and, and really get deep on, you know, if there's any compromisable situation or something wrong with the device. We marry that device information with the uh, one digital identity that's an amalgam of your, uh, you know, digital personas. And then what we do is we understand how that group is behaving in real time in our global network. So if I can understand who you are, you know, holistically, how you're behaving and how you're interacting with me, I've got a far better way of authenticating you and deciding whether or not, you know, to trust you or not. And that's what we provide our customers. We provide the ability for them to say, okay, you know, this individual uh, appears to be operating, you know, uh, in a non-anomalous fashion and, you know, we can trust this individual or this individual is doing something, you know, that clearly is weird and we're not going to trust them. We provide that intelligence feed to our customers. That's fascinating. I actually want to dig in a little bit here because I think it's, you know, it's something that I don't think a lot of people know about. I know I don't really know about how, you know, what happens when you you're on a website and you're, you know, you you might be putting in your credit card information. You might be trying to obtain a loan. So, you know, I'm I'm basically, you know, I'm just just use an example, you know, with a marketplace lending site. So you you, you go to Lending Club, you you give them like eight pieces of information that is, you know, you're, you don't even give them your social security number. You just give them your email. You give them, you know, your name and uh, you know your address and that sort of thing. So, so there's this eight pieces of information, and then you're you're coming in between when they say when you click enter, and then you're going onto the next screen. It all happens in like a second. So you're basically you're taking the information that I've entered, and you're determining whether or not I am who I say I am based on that eight pieces of information. Is that? Can you just tell us a little bit? I mean, obviously, you don't give away your secret source, but how do you do that? Yeah, sure. so it's a great question, Peter. So uh, think of it this way. By, by the way, e-lending, peer-to-peer lending, fintech in general is a, a very large space for us. Uh, to put it in perspective, just in 2016, our estimate is that we prevented a billion dollars in loan origination fraud by protecting over a, a million you know, new account or new loans uh, signatures uh, through our various e-lenders. So we know the space well, but think of that model. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a very difficult problem that fintech is facing. You're a lending company. You're a peer-to-peer lender. 
And, you know, you've already got the inherent credit risk built in any transaction. You know, is this person ever going to service this loan and pay it back? So that's that's a given. What's new in fintech and what's new for e-lenders is, you know, I don't know who Peter is. I'm, I'm relying simply on information. And, you know, you may be somebody with a thin file, so you haven't got a lot of legacy authentication methods. There's not a lot in the credit bureaus about you. And so they're they're having to rely and make a split-second decision on whether or not to give you a loan. And if they if they give you the loan and you're not Peter, that, that money's gone, never to be seen again. And if they don't give you the loan and you are Peter, then you're aggravated and you take your business to a competitor. So on the one hand, you've got fraud uh, and the loan walks away. On the other hand, I've got an aggravated customer who takes market share to my competitor, you know, both of which are bad. So what we do is we go, we allow, you know, our e-lenders to use our portal and our, and our rules engine to write the rules that matter to them. And they might say, you know, I'm interested in creating rules that are, you know, geographically bound. So they might say, look, if, if Peter's more than 50 miles from home and applying for a loan, we're going to reject Peter because, you know, people normally don't travel to apply for loans, right? Or they might say, if Peter has applied for a loan, if, if this persona has applied for a loan anywhere else in your global network in the last 24 hours, then we're not going to allow him to apply for a loan because he could be stacking. He could be applying for loans at 10 different places and, uh, and, and not really be Peter. Now, here's the beauty of, of the threat metrics offering. We have a privacy by design feature that basically says, I'm able to provide these individuals you know, relevant transactional information, relevant persona information, and relevant device information, and I'm able to give it to them without ever compromising PII. You know, our, our standard tagline here at the company is, I don't need to know your name to know who you are. Um, I, I know who you are based on the corollaries and conclusions that we make on this anonymized data that our customers send us, and then we feed them back the answers to the assertions they've made against our network. So in the prior example, the lending institution might say, okay, you know, is Peter in fact more than 50 miles from home, and has this individual applied for a loan anywhere else in your global network in the last 24 hours? And if the answer to both of those is yes, that may trigger in their mind too much of a risk to allow the loan to proceed. So we provide them that information, and, and the reason we're able to do it, and this is really you know, one of the great differentiators of our, com of our company, is that you know, we run somewhere around 2 billion billable transactions a month across you know, almost 5,000 customers. That customer group is broken up between financial institutions, e-commerce, you know, uh, media, government, and insurance. And so we're basically covering almost the entire gamut of, you know, the industries in which people would traffic and people would, would you know, transact with. And by doing that and by having our technology that always follows data elements around and, and provides the same identifier if every time we see them, we're able to say that, in fact, somebody with a credential that was just sent to us by the lending institution has, in fact, applied for another loan somewhere else in our global network. And I'm able to provide that information back to that lending institution without telling them who the individual was or where they applied for the loan, simply that that did in fact happen. And if that's important in their, in their risk assessment, then they would say, great, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to move this loan. You hit on this earlier, Peter. Everything I just told you happens in, you know, somewhere around 100 milliseconds. So in the time it takes you to hit submit, you know, we've gone through this analysis of, you know, your, your digital identity and how it's behaving online and how you're interacting with the site and feedback the information that our customers assert against the network so they can make a decision as to whether or not to allow you to proceed or whether or not to review or cancel that transaction. So you then, so it sounds like you're doing a couple of things there. You're looking at your own internal database that you have, you know, basically collected information on with all your customers, you know, whether it be e-commerce transactions, insurance applications, loan applications, whatever. So obviously you've got a very rich internal database so I guess there's that piece. And then the other piece is, you said it a couple of times, you said how they're interacting with 
the computer? Like, what can you just so tell us a little bit how those two pieces interplay? Sure. I mean, at, at a very basic element, you know, is it really a device? I mean, is this, uh, you know, does it have the attributes of a device or is this, you know, a botnet? I mean, we were able to differentiate whether or not this is a real interaction or whether it's a, a fake interaction. What kind of devices? Is it a mobile? Is it a tablet? You know, is it a, a PC or Mac? If it's a mobile, obviously, or a tablet and they're using an SD, you know, they're using an app, then we're built into the SDKs and that gives us, you know, very rich information about that interaction. Is there malware on the device? Is there somebody trying to inject something into that session? So we have a lot of information on that side of it that's, that's important. But then equally importantly, you know, what about the persona associated with this device? So has Peter's email address and this device been associated with, you know, any, any weird elements? So, for example, we may be able to tell you that your email address uh, is now being used on, you know, 27 different devices across four different continents in three different time zones. <laughs> and obviously that's an indication that you've been compromised. Right. Now, what, what's Peter, the way we're able to do this, I mean, just to give you a a glimpse into the breadth of the threat metrics digital identity network. I mean, today we're tracking over four and a half billion connected devices online. We know something about 1.5 billion people online. And if you consider that in the world today, you know, 3 billion people are actively involved in commerce on the internet, that says that we know something about 50% of them. You know, as I said, we, we process over 2 billion transactions a month. You know, we're, we're tracking, you know, almost a, a billion IP addresses. We're, we've got coverage in over 200 countries, almost a billion email addresses that are in our network. You know, we stop somewhere around six to 700 million attacks every year globally against our customers. And we're tracking, you know, somewhere north of 700 million, you know, physical uh, ship to addresses, which is also an important attribute. You know, you would like to know if, that if, that if you're, you know, buying something on an e-commerce site, that, that that device and credential combination is not at the same time associated with 13 known bad ship to addresses. So right. the, the global network gives us the ability to, because of its coverage and its breadth, to really understand, you know, as, as an anonymous device and credential combination are presented to us, and then our customers make assertions against our network on things that matter to them or risks that matter to them, we're able to provide them very quickly salient information that says, yes, in fact, this we think this is compromised or non-compromised, or more importantly, this is Peter. Uh, interestingly, Peter, if you look at the reason people buy our stuff, you know, over 50% of people that come to Threat Metrics are coming to us because there's too much friction in the channel. You know, somebody in IT or operations has freaked out because you know fraud or whatever, and has made it so difficult to transact with us or with the customer that they need help. And, and what's right. happening is customers are abandoning transactions and going elsewhere. You know, as, as we started the conversation, think about it. If, if you can't get a loan at one lender, you're going to go to the next one. And what's happening is that lender is losing the top line benefit of real revenue because you turn out to be a legitimate customer. So over 50% of our customers buy to reduce friction. The benefit of reducing friction is, one, I get more revenue. Two, you know, I reduce operational costs associated with step-ups and challenges. And then also the other reason they buy is to prevent bad guys or bad actors from, you know, from transacting. And that was the, the billion-dollar number I gave you. We Last year in 2016, just in our e-lending vertical, you know, we, we estimate it's about a billion dollars in you know, loan originations that we protected from fraudulent originations. And, uh, and that's a pretty significant number just for that group of folks. Right, right. So let's just talk about the bad actors for a second. Obviously, there are there are those people who have just given up and they know their credit's going to about to be trashed. Yeah. So they're going to try and get some, get some money in before, before it's totally, before they, before they won't be, they can't do it anymore. So there's those, there's those people, but then there's also the professional criminal 
who is trying to look for ways to, you know, to, to basically game the system to try and obtain money. Obviously, online letters have got to, you know, got to be a, a target for these kinds of people. So can you just tell us about are professional criminals attacking this space? How are they doing it? And how are you stopping them? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great question. And, and the answer may surprise you. So in fact, there's a number of different antagonists that we see across the industries. But think of the e-lending vertical, right? So you just said it. I mean, there's two things going on. Number one, you know, by going to the dark web and spending a little bit of time surfing around, you're very quickly able to get information on, on how to do this stuff. So a lot of the folks that are out there trying this stuff are really less sophisticated than you think. They're, they're folks that have developed a reputation on the dark web, have downloaded some, some tools to help them and are actively trying to compromise stuff. The other antagonists are, as you said, you know, organized crime, professional criminals, you know, states who are antagonistic to our own interests, who are, are trying to be disruptive economically. And obviously those folks are much more sophisticated. But think of this, I mean, if, if you're the merchant, you're, you're the, in this case, you're the lender, and you know, you're, let's say, competing in a market of 50 other lenders. You know, absent a network like ThreatMetrics that, that is providing global shared intelligence across that entire group of folks, how are you going to know if Peter has applied for 15 loans at exactly the same time on 15 different devices at 15 different websites? And what happens is where, where there's been sophistication is in the vectors. The attack vectors are very interesting. So you got these professionals that say, hey, look, I understand that in many cases there's thin files. In many cases, the loan value is small enough or the lender is willing to take a, you know, much more risk than, say, a bank would. And so I'm going to apply for 10 you know, $5,000 loans at once. I'm going to do it at 10 different e-lenders, and I'm probably going to get accepted at five of them, and I'm going to walk out of here with 25 grand that I otherwise wouldn't have had. And so, you know, unless you have a network that where, where one of our customers could say, as I said earlier, hey, has Peter applied for a loan anywhere in the last 24 hours in your network? Unless I can tell them that and say, yes, in fact, this individual and not, as, as an anonymous persona has applied for a network, they're not going to know if they're at risk or not. So, yes, the antagonists are sophisticated. They're well prepared. What's very interesting about the group of folks is they, you know, they're they're not just good at the fraud and, and the ways to attack. They're also very good domain experts in certain industries. And and by that I mean they know how loan originations work. They know how payments or transfers work. And so you're dealing with with both the the aspiring new bad guy who goes to the dark web and gets some tools and is able to compromise less sophisticated infrastructure and sites. And you're also dealing with very professional folks that are either organized crime or, as I said, antagonistic states that, you know, understand how these things work and are able to en masse, you know, uh, really perpetrate, you know, significant amounts of fraud at once because these, these uh, companies have no way of identifying, you know, whether or not these folks are legitimate. Again, the benefit of threat metrics is everything we do is anonymized. All those 10 vendors that are, that are all lending at the same time never really get your name. They don't know that it's you as an individual, but they know that this, persistent data element is applying for loans across our network. They don't know where they're applying, which preserves the confidentiality of, of each vendor, but they do know that there's a risk because it's, you know, it's highly unlikely that one individual is going to apply for 10 loans at the same time across 10 different devices and, you know, at, at 10 different uh, you know, organizations. So the, the, the benefit of threat metrics is that we provide our, our customers, you know, global shared intelligence derived from this very large digital identity network that, you know, is being, think of it this way, it's being refreshed roughly 80 million times a day, you know, 80 million transactions a day, that network is being refreshed with more and more information as it relates to your digital identity. It's being done so anonymously, so you're never ever in a position where your PII is compromised, you're never going to run into regulatory hot waters or headwinds, 
but at the same time, I'm able to provide those, uh, those lenders with information that's invaluable to them. I mean, think about it. If those five lenders would say, you know what, this guy's applying for more than one loan, I'm out. And that decision to, to not proceed with a transaction probably just saved them 5,000 bucks. So mm-hmm. it's very, you know, it, it's, it's kind of where the future is going. In, in a digital first world where everybody's rushing to mobile, everybody's rushing to get their businesses online, especially in e-lending and peer-to-peer lending and, and FinTech in general, you know, in that world where there's kind of a race to the finish line, you need to have global shared intelligence from a reliable source that can give you accurate salient information as to whether or not to proceed because, quite frankly, as I said early on, you may be a legitimate customer with a thin file but still a legitimate customer, in which case they should give you the loan, or you could be a bad guy pretending to be Peter, in which case they shouldn't give you the loan. And the ability to make that decision in real time is instrumental you know, into your business. So we provide them that ability, and as I said, we do it over 2 billion times a month. And you know, to put that in perspective, what that translates into, and this is a really interesting statistic, if you look globally at our recognition rates, You know, on average across the globe, 95% of the time when somebody lands on a website we protect, whether that's through a PC, a mobile, or a tablet, when they land on that website, we know something about them somewhere else in our global network. So you're talking about a massive global footprint that allows us to to have this this anonymous global shared intelligence that benefits our customers in terms of, as I said, you know, taking on revenue when they should reducing operational costs associated with step-ups and at the same time preventing fraud. Yeah, it's fascinating, fascinating, because I know, I think I read somewhere that you've got some large Chinese customers. You know, that's obviously a, a country where there's a, mass, a massive number of thin file people sure. who, are, who are slowly, they're slowly entering the middle class. And uh, so what what are some of the differences then? Like some, like you, like I love the fact that you've got you've got this global network that you can see, you can sort of detect other you know when people are doing things in different countries. But but you also you must have this massive amount of intelligence about different countries themselves. And um, you know, seriously, I, I had Jeff Stewart from Lindo on just uh, last week, and he, and we were talking a bit about this. So, what what do you notice about the differences between countries? Like, what is the difference between a Chinese consumer and an American consumer? Are they just as easy to identify when it comes to fraud, or are there or there are there different challenges? Yeah, you know, one of the it's a great question, Peter. One of the benefits of having a global network is that we're able we're able to identify you know good customers. I mean, think of one of my initial premises was: look, at the end of the day, the number one reason that people buy us, or the reason they come to Threat Metrics, is they want to reduce friction because they're letting good customers you know kind of fall through the cracks. Imagine the Chinese customer scenario. You know, I'm a businessman in Shanghai. I decide to come to San Francisco. You know, I want to rent a hotel room in San Francisco, and I use my Chinese credit card. And regretfully, most of the time, unless you've got, you know, the benefit of a global shared network, that transaction is probably rejected because it's a Chinese credit card and people don't know how to authenticate it. Uh, imagine I'm a, you know, Chinese business person. And as you said, I'm in Shanghai somewhere. I'm, I'm, I'm a young entrepreneur and I want to get a loan. And, you know, I just recently moved into my apartment in Shanghai. I've got, you know, think of the legacy authenticators. I don't have a home phone, which is a big part of the, you know, normal credit bureau uh, process. I haven't been in my address more than five years, so I, I appear to be transient. You know, I don't have a job per se because I'm an entrepreneur and I'm, I'm bootstrapping a business. I mean, all of the things that are traditional anchors in a, in a credit file by a credit bureau aren't going to exist for you, and yet you might be a legitimate business guy trying mm-hmm. to get a loan. And mm-hmm. So the, the only thing you can rely on then is to understand, to, to be able to vet this customer and say, look, 
this individual, we know this individual, again, anonymously, but we know this individual, this digital persona, we know that it operates, we know that it's been uh, authenticated elsewhere in our network positively, that, it's, that people have either stepped it up or, it's, or they've, or they've uh, legitimately authenticated this transaction and this person. So we're going to rely on that global shared intelligence to say this appears to be, you know, the right individual. The device isn't compromised. There's nothing anomalous about the interaction other than there's no history in the traditional sense. And so in, in that sense, you know, the Chinese and American consumer are exactly the same because, you know, we don't have to rely in a digital first world on, on traditional authentication methodologies, which quite frankly are outdated. And even if you did have it, are going to give you false positives. Right. You know, if, again, if you went to, I don't know, you know, if you went to one of the credit bureaus in China and you said, all right, this guy's applying for a loan, the response you'd probably get back is say, hey, no home phone number, been at the address less than, less than a year and no known job, and you're probably not going to get the loan. And yet that individual may be somebody who is a very good consumer and a very good customer and, uh, you know, in conducting business. So the differentiation and distinction globally is that, you know, in a world where everybody online is global, and you are today, I mean, you know, the reality is if you're online, if you're selling anything online, you're a global business, why should you limit, you know, yourself to certain domestic customers and walk away from international revenue especially when statistically 70% of those people that are trying to interact with internationally are legitimate customers. And what we do provide our customers the confidence to be able to say, yeah, this appears to be, you know, again, based on what matters to them, based on the rules and risks that matter to them and, and, and you know, within the portal, when they write these rules to say, yeah, you know, based on the criteria you've established, this appears to be a legitimate customer. I'm going to go ahead and transact with them because I know that in this particular case, the Chinese businessman who's about to apply for a loan you know, was authenticated at, uh, you know, at, at a global bank, logged into his account, was authenticated as a real individual, or we know this individual has been authenticated at large e-commerce sites and, and can be trusted. And I think that that interplay between not just the individual and the geography, but also everything that individual does is super critical. One of the interesting things that, that I think people miss, you know, in this global shared intelligence world, and one of the great differentiators for us is that oftentimes, you know, you'll have these people that want to establish consortiums and they'll say, look, why don't we share information amongst ourselves as it relates to banking, for example. And so, you know, if someone comes to your bank and this individual is a, a good customer, then we'll let everybody know they're a good customer. And, and the beauty of having a diverse network is, you know, people that bank also buy e-commerce stuff and people that buy e-commerce stuff also watch movies online and people that watch movies online, you know, also buy insurance or apply for visas on government websites. And so, when you've got a broad view of how an individual behaves across the various sectors, you have much more powerful information about, you know, transaction authenticity, if you will, because you're watching this individual interact across a number of different industries in ways that are either consistent, consistently inconsistent, or just wrong, right? And we're able to provide that information. So how do you, I mean, you've got this massive data. And so, you know, on every individual, you, you must have thousands, sometimes I imagine tens of thousands of data points. And I can imagine there'd be some privacy people who aren't too happy about how much data you have. How do you answer those concerns? Yeah, and again, so the beauty of the privacy by design feature is that we never, ever, ever traffic in personal information. I mean, we, there is no PII that we traffic in. You know, just to put a, you know, the technical phrase on it or terms, but when we get information, it's immediately anonymized in, with a one-way hash, so it can't be un, you know, de-anonymized. And that one-way hash is persistent in our network. So when a data element shows up, we know that we've seen a data element before. You know, I don't know that it's Peter at Gmail. I just know that that data element and that, that identifier is persistent. And every time that data element shows up somewhere else, I can identify it. So I can tell my customers, you know, very, very accurate information about anonymized personas. 
without ever knowing their name or ever compromising any PII. And so that's given us the benefit of, you know, being, uh, you know, the largest player in e-commerce in our space, being a, you know, having a huge traction with global banks. You know, we've had a fantastic year in 2017 with global financial institutions, with government, with media. You know, all of them are comfortable that, that one, I'm not violating regulatory concerns because everything's, you know, everything we do is based on anonymous corollaries and conclusions. Number two, I'm sharing the results of those corollaries and conclusions with the other customers, not the underlying data elements, because I can't, because, again, they're just anonymized, you know, information. And so the, the combination of those two things, you know, allows us to, you know, very quickly onboard customers uh, in the space, irrespective of those regulatory concerns, and get them up and running without ever compromising PII. And that's a huge differentiator. I mean, we, right. you know, we say we know things about numbers of people. You know, I can tell you, for example, that we're tracking, you know, 1.5 or 1.4 billion people on the Internet. I, I don't know their names. I don't know who they are. You know, I, I don't know anything about them personally, but I know how they transact. I know how they act online. I know how their anonymous digital, you know, identity behaves. And so we rely on that information to share with our customers. So even then, if someone was able to hack into your systems and look and get a copy of your database, what you're saying is it would be useless because they wouldn't actually right. have any data yeah. that they can they could use. Right. And the other thing that's interesting, every customer has their own, you know, access to the data and their own encryption keys. We don't have them. So only the customer is able to see their data. So, in you know, in the unlikely event this were ever to happen and, you know, knock on wood, we, it never has and we hope it never will. It doesn't really matter because if you what you would get is it's just a bunch of information that can't be de-anonymized. Right. Okay. So I know that you you recently raised uh, thirty million dollars in debt financing from Silicon Valley Bank. I'm just curious about about that and why why did you do debt instead of equity? So it's a very good question. I mean, the the, uh, the benefit of you know Metrics now you know in in its tenth year of operation is that the company you know, runs a very, you know, tight business model. We're experiencing tremendous growth over 50% year over year. You know, we run the expense side of the business, you know, very tight. And so the company is effectively cash generative every year, but we wanted to have, you know, a non-dilutive cushion, if you will, to allow us to make investments in other things. So we have this facility, uh, it, it, it has a lot of runway, you know, if we need it, we can use it. We haven't had to yet. But it really was a desire to say we want to have, you know, some fuel if we need it to be able to invest in new channels, to continue our investment innovation, you know, over and above what our working capital provides. So companies is just doing fantastic. We have very strong margins. We're very, very proud of the business and the way it's run. And we, you know, we figured that rather than raise equity and and go through the process of, you know, having to go through valuations and, and the potential dilution associated with it, you know, that uh, uh, Silicon Valley Bank, which, by the way, is a fantastic customer of ours, has been a great partner. Silicon Valley provided us with a facility at incredibly favorable terms that uh, we just couldn't ignore. Right. Okay. So last question then, what what are you working on right now? What can we expect, you know, coming out of Threat Metrics in 2017? You know, it's it's, it's amazing. You know, our, uh, our chief product officer and, and our CTO, Alistair and Andreas, have done a fantastic job. And in the product roadmap and the engineering associated with the company. We have, you know, if you think of our business today, we have a digital threat intelligence platform that provides much of what we talked about. Then we have something called dynamic decisioning platforms, which allow you to make decisions uh, and and dynamically kind of make, you know, uh, assessments of of data as you go through. That allows you to do things like onboard other data through our integration orchestration hubs. It provides, you know, machine learning and AI as it relates to smart analytics so that we can now write rules that teach themselves and these, these algorithms learn how these fraud vectors are happening. You can imagine, Peter, that in a world where, 
you know, we're processing, you know, 80, 90 million transactions a day. You need to have this incredible scalable technology to be able to identify those vectors quickly, provide ways to remediate them and feed those out to our customers, right? So we're looking at that. We've got a fantastic portal and case management suite that allows, you know, threat metrics to be the system of record so that the practitioners at these accounts as they're working through these decisions are relying on us holistically for all their data. And so there's, there's just a lot associated with proliferating the digital intelligence and, and a threat metrics identity throughout the internet. You know, if you think of our business, it grows about 100 customers a quarter. And so that kind of growth, every one of those customers brings additional new individuals. You know, we, we anticipate that that 1.5 billion number of, of individuals we know something about in the internet will expand dramatically. And what we're seeing is more and more of our customers relying on our threat metrics technology to identify them, authenticate them, and, and, uh, and make good decisions. So we'll see that proliferate and continue. We'll see the deployment of our dynamic decisioning platform so that you've got, you know, machine learning, smart analytics, decision management, plus this orchestration hub available to our customers. The orchestration hub, by the way, is a great differentiator in this sense. You know, we can now approach a customer and say, look, you know, whatever other information you're using to make decisions, you know, you don't have to replace that. We can coexist with it. We'll onboard that data, provide it an identifier, and simply use it as another data element in our network. So what you have is a practitioner gets to say, wow, I've made this legacy investment. There's no need to rip it out. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take that information and simply combine it with the threat metrics global shared intelligence so I can make better decisions uh, relative to my customers. So big year for us, a lot of fantastic, you know, technology. We have a super strong intellectual property portfolio. We'll continue to invest in that. We're going to see some, you know, again, good traction uh, in APAC, you know, a lot happening in our uh, Asia Pacific business. So all in all, 17 is a big year for us. I think we're going to see both on the product and business side, some tremendous growth. And, and again, the proliferation of, uh, of our threat metrics identifiers into more and more customers across the globe. Okay. Well, it's, it's fascinating, Frank. You, you really have an interesting business. It's certainly one that you know, digital identity is only going to become more important as we go forward. So anyway, I very much appreciate you coming on the show today, Frank. Peter, I appreciate it. Thanks for the time. Okay. Bye. Bye. You know, I was discussing with uh, Frank after we turned the microphone off that you know, digital identity really is a, a growth industry. It's something that is only going to become more important as more and more of our lives uh, you know, migrate online and more and more of our – and we spend more time online and we have more interactions online. This is an industry that is critical for the success of any online endeavor, particularly the online lending space. And so I feel like companies like Threat Metrics are providing just such a valuable service that you know without them there would be more fraud, investors wouldn't get as good a return, and we would uh, you know really not have as much of a flourishing industry as we do. Anyway, before I sign off, I uh, just want to give people a reminder. If you haven't reviewed the show, we would love for you to go to iTunes and give us your honest review or Stitcher for that matter. We're available on both places. Give us an honest review. We'd love to hear them. I read every single review that we get. And if you haven't done so and you've been listening to the show for a while, please, I ask you, go ahead and give us a review. It helps other people find the show and helps us grow our audience. On that note, I'll sign off. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.